各位听众朋友们，大家好，欢迎听到 The Bilateral, the flagship podcast from the Canada-China Business Council. I'm Sarah Kudalakos, CCBC's Executive Director, and my co-host is Noah Fraser, our Managing Director in Beijing. 希望您会喜欢这个播客。The bilateral is designed to shed light on issues of interest to the Canada-China business community, to highlight some of the interesting work CCBC's members are doing, and to help our Canadian audience better understand what is happening in China today from a business perspective. This episode is one in our Business Excellence Awards series on the bilateral. We began the Canada-China Business Excellence Awards in 2008 as a way to celebrate the success of organizations that are doing business between Canada and China. Every two years, CCBC presents these awards to organizations that have played an innovative and leading role in expanding and nurturing bilateral business relationships. We will highlight the winners in our three categories: outstanding member, exceptional SME, and education excellence. We hope that the stories of our award winners provide inspiration and help to encourage more successful trade and investment between Canada and China. The CCBC is grateful to SnapPay for its support of the awards initiative. Joining me today is Radley McKenzie, founder of Sinosports Development, who joins us from Toronto. Sinosports received the Bronze Award in the Education category at CCBC's 2020 Business Excellence Awards. This was presented to a CCBC member organization in the education sector that demonstrates outstanding achievement in delivering China-related success, including but not limited to research partnerships, recruitment, student-faculty exchanges, alumni relations, institutional linkages, executive training, and provision of Canadian curricula. And while we often get universities in this category, this year was more diverse, and Sinosports definitely fits that description. Radley, welcome, and give me some background on Sinosports. Hi, thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure to speak with you today, and、uh, very thankful for CCBC's recognition、uh, through the award. And hello to the audience.、Uh, so, Sinosports development just hit our five-year anniversary in September. And、uh, very excited to share a bit more about our, our company and what we've been up to.、Um, so I originally started Sinosports、uh, basically on the premise of identifying opportunities for foreign companies、uh, and, and stakeholders here in North America and Canada to take advantage of the growing sports market in China.、Uh, I soon realized that despite this explosive growth in sports at the youth level, especially、uh, academics are still the priority for the families and, and trump the sports. Uh, fortunately, here in North America, as you may know,、uh, sports play a significant role across campuses, whether at the high school level, elementary school level, or, or university level. And so, we've been、uh, narrowing on how to blend those two and, and、um, combine the educational pathway with、uh, sports development and competition and, and all the、uh, benefits that come from, from participating in sports.、Uh, so, it, I guess started.、Uh, I was fortunate. In 2000,、uh, to attend, come back to Canada. My family moved to China, and I came back to Canada to attend a, a top boarding school in Niagara called Ridley College.、Um, at that time,、uh, I was the only mainland Chinese kid attending Ridley, which、uh, we had a lot of Hong Kong, a lot of Korea.、Um, there was、um, Japan, but、uh, really the mainland market hadn't started venturing overseas at, at the K to 12 level. And so、uh, I went to the school and said, "Hey, you know, I'm seeing this growth. I'd love to pilot a, a couple projects with you guys."
we were fortunate to bring over the head coach of their hockey team, which is one of the top programs in Canada, along with the athletics director and uh, a goalie coach to do the, the first private school camp in Beijing about four years ago now. Um, and then we set up a, a hybrid camp in China, in Canada, where we welcome hockey players from China to come over, live on campus, and uh, get to play with the local kids and, and experience the local coaching. Um, so worked through it with Ridley, bringing the coaches there, bringing the kids back here. And then the end goal was to help attract student athletes from the China market uh, to these campuses. It's very competitive to uh, secure a spot at, at some of these elite institutions. You know, many of them are over 100 years old and um, they try and keep a, a balance of their student body. And so uh, with the increased demand from China, it's become very competitive. So we uh, are working with the families in China that kids play sports to help them uh, leverage that sports to get into the, uh, the top schools and, and help fit in once they get here, which is a big part. And then, um, yeah, still running the camps, bringing kids over there, uh, coaches over there and kids here. So that, that was the, the foundation of our business, especially pre-COVID. Uh, we also have been working for a few years on some winter sports content um, for the China market and the run-up to the Olympics. But um, yeah, really focused on that blend between sports and, and education and the pathway for students coming out of China. Well, we'll get to some of the other sports stuff in a minute, but you mentioned at the beginning the you know academic focus of Chinese families and how that often means that a Chinese student maybe isn't really digging into sports as a Canadian uh, child would be. But I think with some of the um, regulation changes in China on the tutoring and uh, private education industry, I get the sense that China wants to see more well-rounded kids, and that might extend to, uh, you know, playing hockey and other sports. Would, do you see the same thing? Yeah, definitely. Um, one way to look at it is there's kind of a top-up and top-down and bottom-up drivers. The government has been very dedicated to encouraging sports participation. They see the benefits for the overall uh, public health, for um, you know, keeping kids out of video games, helping them develop character, or, or grit and leadership, all, all those benefits. Uh, so Ch China as a, as a planned economy has uh, dedicated a lot of resources to this. And we can get into some of those details if you're interested. But um, the, the second driver is the parents recognizing the benefits of sports as well. And, and this is something that's second nature to many families in Canada. But um, the, the ability to, to have your son or daughter work with teammates and leadership and competition are all uh, character development tools that uh, the families are, are keen on as well as the government. Got it. And, um, you know, the sports sector writ large, whether it be to promote the healthy China policies or, you know, just consumption, uh, they really seem to be growing a lot. So can you tell me what you uh, have seen with the general opportunities in the sports sector? You know, how big is the market? How fast is it growing? And where does Canada fit in it? Yeah, totally. Um, so one uh, number we're very focused on is sports participation. So there's a couple different sides to the industry. You know, you've got apparel, you've got sponsorship and viewership. Um, we, we're really looking at the grassroots and, and sports participation, especially amongst youth. And so that uh, is estimated at $53 billion per year in, in 2018 is uh, the most recent stat we could pull and uh, growing at approximately 14% a year KGAR. Um, on top of that, just the general market, uh, its overall industry is estimated to reach $730 billion 
by 2025. Um, that's from about $275 billion in 2016. Uh, and aiming that by that 2025 point to have approximately 500 million regular sports participants. So uh, quite sizable. Um, there is a, a, a stat that the overall um, size of the industry in China grew, uh, it doubled from 2014 to 2019 and uh, made up 3% of China's GDP uh, in 2019, which uh, I found quite fascinating. Uh, to, the, to the government uh, injection of capital and resources, uh, some of you might be familiar with the NDRC, which you see as kind of an infrastructure and uh, quite government policy-led um, stakeholder in China. So they've invested 1.4 trillion USD between 2016 and 2020 into sports. Um, they think that uh, right now, if you look at the participants or, or fans of sports, 60% of urban residents in China now describe themselves as sports fans, and 30% uh, would uh, identify as practicing sports. And uh, the, the government hopes that that will increase to 45% by 2035. So uh, I know some of these numbers are overwhelming. It is important in China to be to dig into your specific sector and um, and look at your region. But um, the overall momentum is is quite strong. For Canadian companies, uh, uh, it's important to identify which vertical you're looking at. Uh, sports tech and wearables are are very hot these days, and you're seeing a lot of the overlap between China's tech ambitions and and the um, goal to merge that and, and um, build out the, the sports applications. So lots in the AI wearable space infrastructure has uh, been uh, a major opportunity for some of the expertise coming out of Canada. Sports tourism is an area that uh, once COVID dies down, we see a lot of opportunity. Uh, these families going overseas and, and experiencing sport, whether it be training or viewing. Um, so that's a big one. And then I guess finally the, the grassroots, which is our um, grassroots training and, and looking at how you can help service the, these young kids that are, are trying to start playing sports. So you mentioned the NDRC investment and that is a, a, a really large number. So is that going more into infrastructure or where are they spending it? Yeah, um, I think typical to their, their mandate, it, it would go into sports facilities and infrastructure with such a large population. Uh, one of the bottlenecks is finding the space and and, um, and areas for these kids or anyone to to practice. And so uh, mm -hmm. I, I would say it's safe to say that a majority of that trillion dollars is going into um, into the infrastructure supporting it. Okay. And then you actually mentioned the Canadian work in that. I know I've seen a lot going on in terms of just ice, right? You know, yep. building facilities that have have ice. We're pretty good at it here in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, another one would be the, the infrastructures, the ski resorts, et cetera. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a lot of Canadian stakeholders who, who are helping bring in everything from the design to um, ski patrol to ice make or snow making, ideally not okay. ice making. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> now, at the core of the award last year was Sinosports work recruiting student athletes in China and helping Chinese families as they come here to Canada and helping companies find coaches. But what else is Sinosports doing? So we've tried to focus really on, on understanding and servicing our, our core target audience or market, which is student athletes and their families in China. So we're not chasing everything. Uh, our, our goal is to make sure that we're, we're meeting the, the needs and demand of these families from, um, 
you know, the early stages all the way through their, their sports development on both the sports and, and education side. Um, a big shift for us recently, though, has been adding in, I, I mentioned kind of our face-to-face -face and, and consulting business, but with the uh, COVID restrictions, uh, there's been a major shift here in North America to online sports training. So that can come in uh, the amateur driveway basketball camps or, um, you know, doing stuff inside the house even. But, uh, you know, coaches are, are uh, very familiar. We're prior, prior to COVID, they were very familiar and, and comfortable in the face-to-face -face training, but it was a bit of a stretch to get them online. Uh, we've now found that with COVID that the coaches are more comfortable doing anything from Zoom to coaching tools, et cetera. And so we've built out a new um, consumer-facing brand called Radical E-Coaching, which is looking at how do we train these kids in um, a full year, 365-day product of online assessments, um, game tape review, one-on-one uh, -on -one mentorship and, and training and feedback to really try and, I guess, connect the top coaches here with the, the market over in China on a, on a full automated basis without needing to get on a flight or visas. Um, it, it really uh, is, is a powerful tool now to help kids develop and, and know what their strengths and weaknesses are. Very interesting. Well, and, you know, as you said, you, you used to bring them here to camps and uh, camps used to be big business, not just for sports, but for all kinds of reasons that parents wanted to give their kids an overseas experience. So COVID makes that a lot harder now. Um, how has COVID impacted that business? Um, and, uh, you know, you mentioned the substitution of the online training, but, you know, where else are you seeing COVID have an impact? Uh, so it's fair to say that COVID was, um, a pretty detrimental blow to our existing business at the time and uh you know we we survived it but um unfortunately lost a, a number of programs that were you know on their way or if not about to happen um but uh, i think it's it's promising to think that we're turning the corner and moving out of this uh, quite quite ironically the canadian federal government hired us uh we did a competitive rfp at the end of 2009 and we're awarded a contract end of, I guess, December 2019 to um, look at the China camps market and how that, that short-term market provides opportunities for stakeholders here in Canada. It was run through the education um, team at the consulate in Shanghai. And one of the main drivers for them is looking at you know, education stakeholders like uh, the universities who, who now might have hit somewhere closer to, to their peak or capacity for students, but what, what are other ways to, full-time students, I, I suppose I should clarify, uh, what are other ways for them to build auxiliary revenue and use their resources to, to tap into the million plus Chinese students that are going overseas every year for summer programs pre-COVID? Mm -hmm. So uh, we, we put together an amazing report on, on that camp market for Canadian stakeholders. I think, uh, Sarah, we can discuss what's the best way to get this out to your members, but they should probably get in touch with CCBC if they want it, I would suggest. And yeah, um, we'd it, be happy it is, to share it. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a 50-page kind of roadmap for different opportunities and tips for success. And, mm -hmm. and so we definitely see that this camps market is, um, is something that's going to keep growing as, as Chinese families are looking for the experiences overseas and, and sports uh, fit nicely into that. 
and hopefully it will come back. You know, I think we're all looking for the day when we can travel back and forth, uh, not <laughs> impacted by COVID. Now, one thing that often blows people's minds is the reach that can be achieved in China when you do it right. Um, you know, I think about, you know, when the NHL played there a few years ago, you know, how many more people they might have reached in China versus in Canada. And I believe you guys are working on a film project that might air in both China and Canada. So tell me about it. And, you know, who ends up watching this stuff? Yeah, totally. Um, so reaching the audience and viewership participate, like um, being a viewer is seen by many as the first step in getting them to play a sport. So uh, we, we think that uh, introducing international sports, winter sports, Canadian sports, whatever it might be to the China market in an appealing format is, is something that's going to catch eyeballs. And um, we're trying to leverage that interest to connect those eyeballs with, with brands that are, that are looking to reach the demographic. Um, I remember hearing Connor McDavid went over to China and had a 13 million view Douyin clip. And, he, and like they were apologizing to him that it was, it was smaller than that they expected, but he was just blown away. Only by, 13 like, million. You know, only 13 mil. Sorry, Connor. Um, you alluded to the, the NHL going over. They see that opportunity uh, with the two preseason games that were over there, uh, which were reasonably well attended, but weren't a huge hit, but a, but a starting point. And um, one could argue that the groundwork that was done there was a big reason that last year's Stanley Cup game four had 6 million Chinese views. Which is more mm -hmm. than uh, any any U.S. Um, like any more than all the combined views in the U.S. So uh, certainly making a big splash there, and everyone's excited to see what comes out of the uh, Beijing 2022 Olympics and and the participation there. Two to three years ago, I, I partnered up with a guy from Ontario, Mark Christophic, who runs uh, Ski Television, which is a nationally broadcast ski show, and so we were approached by Xinhua to do a version for China and ended up filming six different ski resorts in China. We had six international resorts and uh, Xinhua pumped that out. It was 109 million views, um, 70 million of which were digital. Uh, so that's kind of a cool, cool first step for us into this world. And uh, since then we've been building it out. Right now we're working on a kids and culture piece uh, focused around winter sport uh, youth athletes in Canada and China. Uh, we're calling it One Dream. And uh, CCTV has hired us to um, produce this and it will be broadcasted both in China uh, across CCTV, which is a, a major broadcaster, of course. And then in Canada, it'll be on CBC Gem and um, Amazon as well. So uh, stuff like that, uh, that we think that it's a, a great opportunity to jump on the momentum of uh, the interest in winter sports in China and, and the distributors, whether that be government or private, uh, we have another esports to real sports show going out on Tencent um, that's also looking for corporate partners. So it's um, all about building that storyline around the Olympics and, and connecting with the, the audience. Well, and the Olympics, uh, which for our audience will happen next February 2022, uh, being a Winter Olympics has really driven top-down encouragement of winter sports. And, uh, you know, I think about what you said about the NHL, whereas uh, the NBA has been huge in China since the 90s, right? So there's really a, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of runway for winter sports to, uh, to go in terms of popularity. Yeah, totally. We, we see... Um... The Olympics almost as the starting point. Uh, everyone we talk to in China it is 
thinking more, you know, the next decade, not the next four months. Um, of course, with the expanded uh, introduction of these sports uh, on the Olympics and, and the audience and viewership in China, the hope is that this sparks just natural interest from participants and, and that will continue to develop into uh, a more robust community. And I, I think most people are familiar with the 300 million winter sports athletes by uh, February uh, of next year. So it's uh, it was a bold push by the government and then they're quite committed. And is that uh, people actually doing the sports or does that include people uh, witnessing the sports? That, that would be, 300 million would be the participation wow. goal. Um, okay. Now, I, I think that's quite loose, like um, going for a skate on a canal could probably <laughs> probably meet the criteria, but um, it's, uh, you know, starting from a very small number, it, it has been an ambitious rollout. Now, sport overall has the benefit of being a people-to-people -people thing. You know, you can think back to the ping-pong diplomacy of the 1970s. And now that the problem of Meng Wanzhou and the two Michaels has resolved and they have all returned home, we have this tough task of repairing the Canada-China relationship. How can sport play a role in doing this? Oh, yeah, you bring up an excellent point. Um, you know, five years ago when I started Sonic Sports, I did not predict COVID or the um, Mung and Michaels uh, headwind, but um, as things begin to hopefully level out and uh, eventually rebuild, we think sports is, is an amazing vehicle and, and mechanism for, for helping rebuild those relationships. Uh, for us, sports is meant to be and, and should be separated from politics. Uh, we're, we're talking to our Xinhua context in, in Beijing and, and they also understand this. They want to separate sports from um, you know tech wars and any other geopolitical tensions, so uh, we do see it as an area that that China is certainly willing to engage, and and something that we're very good at in in Canada to to help provide uh, some of that goodwill and and help support what they're essentially trying to do of getting more people to be active and play sports. I think it's it's helpful just that you know, often we're talking about kids here. We're trying to get kids playing sports and giving them the coaches and the, the infrastructure to do that. So that that might soften um, some people's mindset and uh, against the, against the rhetoric you'll see from the government and media. Um, you know, let's not forget what sports is about. <laughs> um, right. But, but generally, yeah, I mean, competition in sports can can bring you closer. Uh, you could argue it's a universal language in many ways, and um, we think that if we can find opportunities. And I, I really do hope that there's some stakeholders here in Canada and also on the Chinese side that step up and recognize that there's the opportunity here to make a splash, whether it be big delegations of teams or coaches or athlete exchanges going both ways, um, even in the online format at this point. Uh, you know, there's lots of knowledge that can be transferred. And uh, you know, we, we do hope that that's something that can, can change the narrative a little bit and um, and recreate that people-to-people -people connection that you know, has dried up a little bit recently. Well, and you mentioned at the beginning that you know, a big part of the coaching is uh, you know, teaching leadership, uh, teaching people how to be on teams. And given that the Canadian side is doing the coaching, it's a great way for us to impart some of our system and our values to that relationship. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's a, it's a rules-based uh, world, right? I mean, most, most sports have rules that need to be followed and, and both sides need to follow them. And I, I think that is encouraging for what we're, we, we want to build moving forward.
So, Radley, for our final round, I want to hit you with some sort of fun China questions. Uh, first of all, most popular sport in China? I think you got to go with basketball now. Um, the NBA is claiming 600 million fans, uh, 300 million participants, and 30 million of those which are youth. So, uh, you know, as you alluded to, the, the NBA has done a, a great job over there building that out. Um, soccer and swimming would be uh, two quite popular um, kind of Western-oriented sports. Uh, Xi Jinping is a huge soccer fan. So that drives uh, a lot of regional growth. And there's a number of, of hubs popping up across the country supporting that. Uh, I'd, I'd say that traditional sports like ping pong and badminton still have strong viewership. But okay. um, it's it's dropping. Um, you know, it's, it's more mom and dad sport than um, than the youth, but um, still plays a role. Uh, I guess I could get so for winter sports, uh, which is with the Olympics coming up and Canada's positioning. You're looking at over a million figure skaters in China. Um, talk mm. about skiing, so 20 million ski visits. Um, like so that would be like ski passes in China in 2019, and then uh, specifically to hockey, which is quite uh, quite close to the heart for many Canadians, there's still a limited amount, probably about 10,000 um, kids across the country, um, a majority of those, which would be in Beijing. But um, it's, a, it's a sought after demographic with the expenses required there. For sure. And who's the most famous professional athlete in China that Canadians would know of? I still think on the... Um, especially ones Canadians would know it, it's still probably Yao Ming as uh you know just given his spotlight still as a um a leader in in the China Basketball Association uh Li mm. Na made a, a very big splash in tennis uh but she's she's not retired but um she was um very popular and, and a bit of a household name for us here uh yeah. there's some interesting examples like Coming out of Tokyo, there is a 14-year-old diver named Hong Chan, who um, is like blowing up in popularity, and she's a, she's a new country favorite. So, uh, yeah, it's limited um, kind of overlap, I'd say, for um, a lack of another word. And uh, they're really China's looking to build those future stars at the grassroots level to, to start making more players household names. Got it. And then finally, what's a recommendation you would make to help our audience better understand China? So um, I, this is slightly antagonistic, I suppose, but I have to go with my old uh, colleague at APCO Worldwide in, in um, China, Peter Martin, who's a Bloomberg reporter, just came out with a very interesting book called uh, China's Wolf Warrior Diplomacy. Uh, it's a really fascinating look at China's diplomats abroad, and um, he's just a, a generational talent and a good friend of mine. So I, I can't not pitch his new book right now. But um, yeah, that's one that uh, can, can really show you what what the mindset of the the government Beijing has been uh, for the representatives overseas. Excellent. Well, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And Radley, congratulations again to Sign of Sports Development for the award, and thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Amazing. No, thank you so much, Sarah, and uh, look forward to a bright cooperation on, on all fronts. So. Keep an eye on your email and social channels as we bring you more content on the Canada-China business and investment relationship. More events and information are always available on ccbc.com and our WeChat account, so please give us a follow. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review to help more listeners find us.
Thanks for listening, everyone. Fei Chang Gan Xie.